to go. All right. You are good to go. Have a great interview. Yeah. Thank, thanks, Len. Well, welcome back to the show. You're listening to On Point, and my name is David Peck. We have a special guest here with us right now to talk about a pretty significant issue, a pretty significant global issue, Shuvaloy Majumder. He's Foreign Policy Director and Monk Senior Fellow at the Macdonald-Laurier Institute and former Director of Policy to Canada's Foreign Minister. Shuvaloy, thanks for joining us on the show tonight. Pleasure to be here, David. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great, great to have you back. So, so glad to have experts, you know, digging, digging deep. If you can, if you can actually dig deep in 10 minutes, Shuvalai. But anyway, we, that's a, that's, that's a whole other conversation. So, so how, you know, when you read that, when you read the, um, the headline, you know, Ukraine applying for NATO membership, I mean, this is not just signing a form and, and, and sending in your 2995, right? I mean, this is, this is a serious, is complicated and serious. The the the, the implications are, are pretty far reaching. Can can you can you give us some context? Yeah, sure. I mean, in 2012, 2013, when little green men came across the border from Russia to eastern Ukraine, and Russia had annexed the Crimea, um, NATO support for communications, uh, command, and control uh, had been provided to the Ukrainian military, uh, and it was largely supported by the Canadians and the British under. Prime Minister Harper, and it created it, cre- it gave birth to what would be the modern Ukrainian army that you see fighting today uh, against this uh, brutal invasion that Russia has conducted. In 2017 or 2018, both Prime Minister Harper and President Bush had made uh, as much of a case as they could for Ukraine's admission to NATO. Uh, it was objected to by Germany, Angela Merkel, um, because of the whole energy dependency that Germany had had on Russia. They thought it would be provocative. I have to think today that had Ukraine been on the membership application path to NATO as early as 2017, we would never have an invasion today. Mm. Now, NATO's application process is open. Anybody can voluntarily join the alliance. It's not a, it's not a coercive mechanism <laughs> in which other states are brought under the Western thumb. It is something that if countries meet particular thresholds in their military development, their market economy, this broad public support, which Ukraine possesses in spades and all three now, um, they can make an application for emergency membership. And that's what Volodymyr Zelensky has done to his great credit. Is, is, are the Russians going to see this as an immediate threat? Is, are they going to see it as saber rattling or just posturing as a political move? Or is, is, is there, more more than that here. This is all in response to Russian aggression. None of mm. this has been provocative as the Russian narrative would let Canadians believe. Right. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, Ukraine, <laughs> I saw online uh, an intelligent uh, colleague who had said that, you know, NATO should be applying to join Ukraine <laughs> because of the kind of outstanding defense they have conducted right, for right. their homeland. And this, this is all, I would say that this is after Vlad, uh, uh, Vladimir Putin had created partial mobilization enlisting Russians from the far reaches of the Russian Federation to fight on the front line in Ukraine. Uh, after he has conducted a, bl- a brutal, bloody invasion characterized by war crimes, genocide, mass rape, very unpleasant things. Um, and after he had declared these sham referendums in parts of the territory he already held at the beginning of this uh, to bring under Russia's nuclear umbrella, it is not, I would say, a provocation for 
Ukraine's ascension to NATO. It is, if, any, if anything, an affirmation of a defense of its defense and a very right. necessary one. Might might he use it as an excuse to 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 you know to to not to be trite, but to press the button, the nuclear question? Does that is does that get a little more heightened? You know, once again, Vladimir Putin has succeeded at um, intimidating, you know, sensible, civilized nations in the West who are trying to find a sense of peace by threatening the nuclear option. Um, you know, I, I'm not somebody to say recklessly that we should not take his threat and his bullying and his intimidation uh, at his word. I think we should understand that if he says he's willing to do it and he should be taken seriously, then let's, then let's take it seriously. Right. I think it's been communicated to him by Washington, by the NATO alliance, that the consequence of a nuclear strike would be catastrophic. I think that Article 5 of NATO, which has protected, you know, these democracies uh, from the Cold War and well afterward, uh, including into the modern age, uh, the, the real red line about it isn't necessarily about territory. It's about nuclear strikes. Um, and I think that, you know, the, the, the risk of Vladimir Putin deploying a tactical nuclear weapon in non-NATO Ukraine is palpable. The, the question then is, what do we do to deter that behavior from mm. an even beginning? And I think the, the most effective way to do that is to do what you do with any bully, is to stand up with strength and show no fear and to say, you know, don't do this. There will be massive consequences to you if you do. What do you, wh wh where do you think other NATO members are standing on this? I mean, uh, do you have a sense, an intuitive sense for, yes, this is so, totally the way forward, and now we really are going to have a more, or, or be able to have more of a unified response, and, and maybe that means a unified military response? You know, you know, it's, it's, a, very, it's a fascinating question. I, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for both America and Canada generally, because I think we've been very steadfast on this. Over the last decade, you've seen Europeans experiment, if I could put it delicately, with various versions of appeasement mm -hmm. um, and uh, a nonsensical reliance on Russian energy over a fantasy over energy transition technologies that don't have that have yet to exist to supply the, the requirements that they need to fuel their homes and um, and their economies. Uh, Germany has made a seismic shift in terms of how it conceives of the Russia threat, uh, at least in words. Uh, some people have entertainingly described Germany as talking like Churchill and acting like Chamberlain because right. they have the they have the light armored vehicles that Ukraine needs they, that it needs now. They have nuclear capacity uh, for energy that they could turn on tomorrow, but they're not. Um, and their chancellor, you know, to his credit, has tried to diversify German energy requirements coming to Canada and walking away empty handed because Justin Trudeau would not give him the LNG that Canada could provide. Um, so I think, you know, the Western alliance, particularly in Western Europe, uh, continues to, you know, update its thinking with respect to how to confront the challenge of the Kremlin. The allies I look most closely to are the ones who are on the front line, which historically has been called NATO's eastern flank. But because right. of the war on its border, I would say it's actually NATO's uh, eastern front. But right. Poland and Baltic countries, you know, in so many ways, the heart of European civilization for, you know, millennia. Um, I think uh, more astutely and correctly understand the threat on their borders than than those who are further away might might consider it. I, I, I think I read that that um, Ukraine was, of course, they're fast tracking and so on um, mil military alliance uh, ready for talks with Moscow, but not with President Putin. I mean, could you? How yeah. could you? Well, you know, after well, exactly every, right after everything that this. Um, 
this this person who has dispensed with the promise of perestroika and glasnost, the opening of Russia at the end of the Cold War, and his restoration of the madness of imperial, the idea of a Russian ethnic empire in which Russian-speaking people would be subjugated under his control, the kind of lives that he has destroyed in Ukraine has created a generational rift. There can be no trust with Vladimir Putin, which is why I've contended for several months now that the way this is going to end is with the end of Vladimir Putin's tyranny. What about the, um, the, 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 and I'm sure there's lots of people standing up and applauding that right now. What, what about the public support for this? Uh, do you think, do you think it's there? Do you, do you sense that there's global support for this fast tracking? Well, Vlad, I think look, generally people are quite energetic. I think in the West so far about supporting Ukraine's right to its self-determination, defense of its borders. I think a lot of developing parts of the world have yet to fully appreciate what it means to have imperial powers redraw their borders and are hoping that this will kind of contend, you know, take care of itself as a quote unquote European war. Um, but I think in public opinion support, I'm most concerned about what happens in the European winter mm-hmm. with this uh, bombing that, right. uh, you know, the Russians have allegedly conducted on two of the pipelines, the energy intimidation Russia has provided. I think the single most important thing Canada could have accomplished to assure European resilience is to uh, commit to Europe long-term energy supply that Russia cannot leverage. Because when people are, I mean, first of all, energy rationing is a palpable problem. And second, the price of energy in Europe is, is going up quite a bit. It's tenfold what people in Canada might be paying for heating. And, um, you know, the Europeans have provided a $500 billion subsidy to try and pay their way through this winter. But that, I mean, when you, when you add the consequence of the inflationary pressure of that, of debt collapse, of social unrest that results from a rising constituency of poor people, you'll, you can understand how Europe might be headed toward disarray. Mm-hmm. So I think these are really serious questions that, that Canadian leaders need to take very seriously. They really do, and the, 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 not that I'm all about takeaways and interviews, uh, Shuvaloy, but your, your, your notion of resilience isn't, isn't that for us all uh, to, to be thinking about and to be working out, and, and so many people around the world, including Ukrainians right now, are working through that. Shuvaloy Majumder, uh, Foreign Policy Director and Monk Senior Fellow at the Macdonald laurier Institute and former Director of Policy to Canada's Foreign Minister. Shuvaloy, pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for the insight and the observations. My pleasure, David. Have a good weekend. You've been listening to On Point. My name is David Peck.